0: We are in James chapter 4 this morning, beginning in verse 7. It's on page 1013, if you're using a pew Bible today. 1013. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinner, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. Let your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Before we look at the text this morning, I... Just want to make note of the fact that, and many of you know this, that we had about 30 ladies this weekend gathering at Eagle Pass Lodge, and some of those actually came back even this morning, some of the leadership team. And and the reports I'm hearing are wonderful. It's good to hear what God has done and begun to do anew and afresh in lives, and uh, I just want to affirm those who took time to put all of that together and work so hard in doing that and just pray God will continue to use it. This morning we're going to go back into the book of James and uh, and continue on in our trek. And and I think as as we begin this morning, I think it's good to get a kind of aerial view again of James. And that aerial view shows us that what James is seeking to do in this particular letter to the church at Jerusalem, we suppose, is to encourage them to to seek godly wisdom. To to look to God for help and direction. Um, it says there in chapter one that we spent considerable time on. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously, not not begrudgingly, not not kind of dangles it before us and tempts us in in ways, but generously gives it. If we ask, we ask with the right motives and the right purpose. He gives that wisdom generously. As I got the email last night from from Val as she was updating us about Stephen, I was grateful of how she even wrote the end of that email asking us to continue to pray that God would give them wisdom, grace and wisdom, which fits exactly what I think James is talking about. And some of you in these days have come to me and talked about Godly wisdom. And so what the goal of this letter is, is that these people would seek godly wisdom. The problem is that James is addressing is many were not doing that or not doing it as fully as they should. In fact, he was dealing in many ways with a church that was not sufficiently, sufficiently appropriating that wisdom. In fact, they were choosing worldly wisdom in many ways and in many places it last week as we were in chapter 4 it gave this stern rebuke it says therefore whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us he talks here about this people The danger of many of them not looking for godly wisdom, but seeking worldly wisdom and beginning to live by that. What is that? What, what is worldly wisdom? We can throw words like that out and we can come up with all kinds of ideas of what it is. Some of those may be true. Some of those can be distorted. I think in a nutshell, what the wisdom of the world is, is when we follow the ethos of the world. We follow the spirit of the world in its ethics and in its values. That's what it means to have a worldly kind of mindset. You you follow after the ethos, the, the worldly ethics and the worldly values. And you don't look to God to counter that and to get his idea of the way we ought to live. And so he was coming against those kinds of things in the people here all kinds of things were popping up, all kinds of issues we've dealt with. He talked about the tongue. When you follow worldly ways, your tongue will get you in trouble. You'll say things that you shouldn't say. You'll utter things that are hurtful and are wrong. And so he said, we need to be careful to tame the tongue, to have godly wisdom in our speech and the things that we utter. We're not concerned about the least of these. One of the things that it talked about was being concerned about the least of these and they were not being as much as they should. They were enamored by wealth and by riches. They were enamored by the person who came into their assembly, who was wealthy and they gave them the best seats and somebody else who came in who was not nearly in that social strata was put in a other place. And James says that ought not to be. They're not... uh, not coming against bitter kinds of jealousies and selfish ambitions as they ought to they aren't battling in essence what we talked about last week they aren't battling their hearts they aren't coming against that spirit of the world that can even come and begin to take those who have made a beginning with Christ and begin to distort that walk of faith and so James is coming against that he he wants to Have people look at their hearts, examine their hearts, look at the ways in which the ethos by which they are directing their life is out of balance and out of tune with what what God would have. It's not the wisdom of the world. They're not, as we talked about last week, not living in the power of God's grace. We ended last week, really, with this line in verse 6 where it says, after all the things he talked about last week and about how he warned them about being an enemy of God, if you want to follow the ethos of the world and uh, it, it's enmity with God to do that, he, he, he says then, and God jealously yearns over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, the Holy Spirit. He, he jealously wants a people for himself. And therefore, even to those, even to those who have uh, shunned godly wisdom and turned to worldly wisdom, even those, his people, who are tempted at times to do that and fall occasion to do that, he, he reminds them that God gives more grace. The answer is the grace of God. The answer is coming back to him and letting him help them. God does want to help his people. That's what the end of that particular text last week means when it says he yearns jealously. He yearns jealously over a people. God is calling a people to himself. He's calling out a people to himself. And one day that people from every tribe and kindred and nation will be around his throne forever in heaven. And he is jealous for those people. Jealous that they will seek his wisdom, and follow his ways. And to the degree that they don't, he just won't set idly by. And he raised up here in this particular book, James, to write to that church, to to warn that church. And this morning, we're going to look at some of that warning. We're going to look at um, the ways in which God has promised to give grace to his people. And how we can stand in the way of that grace, how we can be in the way of that grace coming to us, to aid us and to help us. Let me remind you of a couple of texts last week, and then we're going to look at the ways that I think we stand in the way of grace. That we need to be a people who stand in the way of grace. One text that we looked at last week. Or that we mentioned, we didn't necessarily read it, but listen to what it says. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That text is important to understand, I think. Particularly in this idea where it says he gives more grace. I think there's a connection to those two things. The scripture says he will supply every need of yours. So the the question we need to ask ourselves is what are my needs what need is he saying that he will meet every one of them? And I believe the need that he promises to meet according to the riches in Christ Jesus is our need to live for the glory of God. I think one of the things we can bank on in the promises of God is that he will graciously give us all the grace we need to meet the need of living for the glory of God in our lives. The scripture says, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, live all to the glory of God. That's, I think, the mantra of the Christian life. That's what should consume us as Christians, that we want to tell the truth about God by the way we live. That's one of the fruits of genuine faith. Uh, we don't fully always fill it out as we should, but that's one of the fruits. That's one of the desires I think God plants in the heart of his people to live for him, to honor him, to tell the truth about him, to live for his glory. And I believe that the promise where it says he gives more grace, that God jealously longs to give us more grace is in regards to that need. And so I think God will always answer. He will always answer that prayer for that need. I think that's what it says in James. That's where I get what I've said to you many, many times before, exactly what I just said, that our need is to live for His glory and that God will graciously do it. We can bank on it, that there will be grace to do that in every circumstance. He will give us the grace we need to tell the truth about Him if if we will ask. It's one of the things that the text last week said, you have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask amiss. How do we ask amiss? We ask amiss by getting getting mixed up what our true need really is. When we get the true need that God promises to answer and fulfill, then God graciously, I think, gives us help. And we looked at this text as we closed last week in 2 Corinthians 9.8. It says, God is able. Not only does he promise to do it, and is he graciously willing to do it, but he is able to do it. He is able to make all grace abound to you. So having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You may abound in telling the truth about God by your life. That's a promise that he gives us. That's the Thing that James brings the people back to after he has talked about the ways in which they have left the wisdom of God to follow the wisdom of the world, he calls them back because God is calling them back. Now, the question we want to ask this morning, I think he goes into it here, is is how do we walk in that way of grace? How do we stay in that way of that grace coming to us? It certainly uh, is a part of it is that we would, Not ask amiss, that we would get understanding what the ask should be about. And we've already talked about that. We'll talk about that a little more. But there's more than that. The first thing that I would say is that we must continue to walk humbly before our God. The scripture says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. In verse 10, it says, humble yourselves before the Lord that he may exalt you. Humility. We must walk humbly before our God. The text on the screen this morning, it says, to the humble, in the book of Proverbs, to the humble, God gives favor. To the humble, God looks upon with favor. So humility is huge. And you've all, if you're in the kingdom today, if you have passed from death to life, if you're alive in Christ today, you have all walked there once. Because that's the only way you can enter the kingdom. The only way you can enter the kingdom is that you humble yourself and look away from yourself to God and all that he is for us in Christ. You look away from your own righteousness or what you may think is your own righteousness and you realize it is all but filthy rags. It will not Merit God's favor. There's only one who will merit his favor, and that's his son. And you look to him. You humbly look to him. You cast away every other thing that you're resting on. You put the full weight, as we've said, of your hope in Christ. And in order to do that, you must humble yourself. You must acknowledge that you cannot come to him in your self righteousness and your self sufficiency. So everyone who is in the kingdom has been there once. That's how you entered the kingdom. And, and what we need to do is we need to stay there. But at times, our hearts are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, the hymn writer said. And so the fight of faith is to stay there. To stay in that state of dependency and humbleness before our God, to live there, to walk there, to continue there. It's the way into the kingdom, and it is the way to live out the life of the kingdom both. It is both. We don't do it once and then go on, but we stay there. And what we find as we stay there, that, that grace is not only, as we said last week, is not only the disposition of God's heart toward us, which is what it is when we enter the kingdom. The disposition of his heart toward us is to give us grace and not what we deserve to bring us to life when we deserve death. That's the disposition of his heart to do that, how he feels about us. But it's more than that. It also is a continuing river of grace that comes to us. And in the way of the kingdom, we need to learn to walk in that river of grace continuing grace coming to supply our needs, our need to tell the truth about God in our lives. And the only way, the only way that river continues to flow and does not get dammed up is that we continue to walk humbly before our God. In order to do that, we're going to have to do some things. We're going to have to battle against pride and self-centeredness. It's the second thing. We, we must battle against pride that wants to raise up its head even in believers and self-centeredness our own selfish bents that continue to plague us even after we've come into the kingdom even after we've come to life the bible says the way to do that in verse seven is to resist the devil and he will flee from you because he is the author of pride when you let pride rear up its ugly head in your life and control you or influence you, you are ultimately giving room to Satan, the enemy of our soul, to control us and to lead us. He is the author of pride. The essence of pride is in what he did as he was one of the angels in heaven and rose up and said, I want to be God and was cast out. But he continues to want to raise up a whole host of people who will follow in that stead. And for believers, you can't do that. For Christians, you cannot do that. You didn't get into the kingdom that way and you can't live effectively and tell the truth about God if you don't come against that in your life, if you don't continually come against that in your life. Francis Schaeffer said this, that there's a battle that goes on in the heavenlies that we don't see There's a battle for our souls. There's a battle that Satan wages. And what he ultimately is trying to do is to to fuel pride in our lives, fuel self-sufficiency in our lives, fuel self-righteousness in our lives so that we will not continue in that river of grace that comes from God. It goes on to say, draw near to God. Not only does it say, resist Satan... Resist the devil and he will flee, but it says also draw near to God. Submit yourselves therefore to God in verse 7. What's it mean to do that? What's it mean to submit yourself? Certainly, submission is part of that, but I think it goes back to the text earlier where it says you have not because you ask not. I think sometimes we just don't even ask. And when we ask, we ask amiss, the scripture says, we can ask for the wrong things. But when you begin to understand that what you need, God will graciously supply, and that is all the grace you need to tell the truth about him and live for his glory. I think that's what submitting to God is, drawing near to him, drawing near to him and calling upon that grace that he promises to give us, and he draws near to us. Because in order to draw near, you have to humble yourself. And it says in the scripture, to the humble, God gives favor. He comes to them. He draws around them. And he uh, provides grace for them. There's a text in Isaiah 64.4 that we had on our wall for a long time here. I hope it's in our hearts. And in essence, what that text is, there's no God like our God who works for those who wait for him, who acts for those who wait for him. What does it mean to wait? It means to humbly look away from yourself, look away from your own self-sufficiency and self-righteousness and look to him. And the scripture again says he works, he works for those who wait. God is glorified when he works for us to cause us to tell the truth about God to the world. When people see that in our lives, they see God's grace. They see the reality of God working in us. They see that grace coming. It's not just some religion that they're hearing about, but they see the reality in the lives of people. Finally, here in this text, we need to humble ourselves. We need to resist Satan. We need to draw near to God. We need to ask. And then finally, it it says this, that we ought to mourn over our remaining sin. There's some kind of hard words here. Let's look at them a minute. It says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. All of that we've talked about. But then it says this, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Those are some kind of dark words, aren't they? Tough language that James uses here. And he's speaking again. He is speaking again to the church. He's speaking again to many who have come to life in Christ but have left godly wisdom and begun to operate by the ethos of the world. And he says some throng things to them. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves is, is, what about joy? We talk a lot about joy. We sang about joy this morning. In fact, listen to how you began to sing today. This is the first hymn. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness, drive the dark of doubt away, giver of immortal gladness, fill us with the light of day. And then it goes on, all thy works with joy surround thee. Earth and heaven reflect thy rays. Stars and angels sing around the center of unbroken praise. Field and forest, vale and mountain, flowery meadow, flashing sea, chanting bird and flowing fountain, call us to rejoice in thee. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessed, ever blessing, ever blessed, wellspring of the joy of living, ocean, depth of happy rest. Thou, our Father, Christ, our brother, all who live in thee are thine. Teach us how to love each other. Lift us to the joy divine. Mortals join the happy chorus which the morning star began. Father, love is reigning o'er us. Brother, love binds man to man. Ever singing, march we onward, victors in the midst of strife. Joyful music leads us sunward in the triumph songs of life. Now listen again. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. How do you put those two things together? It may be that one's just not scripture and not true, the hymn. But I don't think so. I don't think that's the kind of joy that's to be turned to gloom. In fact, that's the kind of joy that will cause the other joy to be turned to gloom. What I think he's talking about here is repentance, is repentance and, and mourning over remaining sin in our lives. There's a place for that in the life of a Christian. In fact, one would say of old that the life of a Christian is a life of perpetual repentance. I think it's true. And I think when we begin to understand what that person meant, we begin to see what this text means. There is a place for us to mourn our sin. In fact, I would ask you the question today. I would ask you the question this morning. Did you confess any sin this week? Did you? I believe it's not because it's not there. It's not because you didn't sin. It's because sometimes we don't recognize it. Sometimes we don't deal with it like this text talks about. There's not a mourning over it. I'm I'm not talking necessarily about huge things. Maybe it was a big thing. Maybe it was a big thing. But I think the longer that we walk with Christ the more we begin to see our hearts, we begin to know our hearts. It's why I asked the question last night, last week, that we said, what's going on in my heart? The life of a Christian is you more and more know the truth of the hymn I quoted earlier. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. There is a, propensity within all of us that I think is not fully gone until death, until we're glorified. There is a part of us where we're continuing being conformed to the image of Christ, that the process of God, of sanctification in our life is just, is just showing us more and more the intricacies of sin in our lives. More and more we're realizing this heart is prone to selfishness, It's prone to to thinking, maybe even at times saying things we shouldn't say. It's prone to jealousy. It's prone to those things. And we need to come against them and battle them and fight them. And part of fighting them is acknowledging it, being sorrowful for it. So the question I would go back to ask you, were you sorrowful this week about not living for the glory of God fully for not in every moment of every day telling the truth about the God that you claim to follow all of us all of us have times when we don't do that hopefully we're getting better and better at it we're learning more and more what it is to stand in the river of God's grace coming to us and in moments when we're prone to go places we ought not to go, prone to have a have a sour attitude or a feel sorry for me attitude or any other kind of attitude, when we're prone to go there and stay there longer than we need to and should, we're learning to ask. We have not because we ask not. God promises to graciously give us all the grace we need to live for his glory. We need to cast off our flippant joy. We need to humble ourselves before God. And in reality, when we do that, when we do that, when we live here, we ad- hear the admonition to cleanse your hand, purify your hearts. In fact, you see that you see the connection there? He's talking about the hands and the heart. He's talking about outward actions, but but he goes deeper. Cleanse your hands, but also purify your heart. It's not just what you do. It's the attitude by which you do it or don't do it. The attitudes of our heart, when we start to live at that level where God begins to check us there, begins to speak to us there, and begins to cause us to call out for his grace to come, and we begin to see the reality of that grace coming, it makes all the difference in the world. What do we do when we see ourselves in ways we don't want to see ourselves? Do we despair? Do we say, I can't do this? No, we ask. We ask God to give us grace, give us help. When we find our tongue doing things it shouldn't do or our hearts going to pity parties or or jealousy or have a callous, unconcern for somebody in need or have a lure of wondering what it's like to live at the level somebody else lives at and daydream about that. What do we do? We ask God for grace. We ask God for grace. We confess it and we ask God for grace. And I believe that God promises to answer it. This morning, as we close, we're going to sing again together a song that says simply, Lord, I need you. But before we do that, as the worship team comes, let me, list, let me read to you what Peter says. This is what James says. Is this just one isolated person saying the kinds of things James says? It's interesting to me that you only need to turn over one more book, one more book in your Bible, and if you go to First Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, listen to this text. Listen to what I read this morning. And, and realize, I hope, how close it is to what we just read in the book of James. Let me read it. Beginning at verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And then it says this. Clothe yourselves, all of you, all of you, whether you're young or old, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Have you heard that anywhere before? Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he might exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober minded. Here's here's the idea of, of looking at your heart checking your heart. Be sober minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. After you've suffered a little while, the God of grace, isn't it interesting? God of grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Humble yourselves, James says, that he might exalt you in proper time. God help us to be a people who know not only the reality of the heart of God's disposition as gracious toward us, but know the reality as we talked about last week. The reality of asking God that He would supply grace to help us to tell the truth about Him to the world. Let's stand and sing together.
0: Lord, I come, I confess, I find my rest And without you I fall apart You're the one That guides my heart Where sin runs deep Where sin runs deep Your grace is more is found, is where you are and where you are Lord
2: I am free holiness is in.
0: Oh God, how I need
1: you. Pray together. Father, that song is so true, and I pray, Lord, that even as we sang it this morning, we we realize it even more fully. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a people who who battle our hearts and come to know our hearts and realize that that we need that constant flow of your grace. I pray we would be a people who would confess our sin. We wouldn't hide it or cover it or deny it or, or rationalize it away. But Lord, more and more, we would see it find your grace sufficient to help us. In Jesus' name.